You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. I'm Corey. It's so great to see you, um, all of you who are here in the room, and those of you who are joining us online, we're really grateful that you can be with us today. Um, our Bible reading today um, is from Galatians 5 and Matthew chapter 11, so we'll be hearing that read by Sue Kimball. So let's hear God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23a. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you've been with us at all uh, over these last couple of months, you'll know that we are in a sermon series that we're calling The Church in a Time of Crisis. In this crazy time that we've been living through, uh, that we're still living in, what we've been saying week by week um, is that times like this, especially times of tremendous accumulated stress, tend to expose Unfortunately, the worst in us, uh, things come out of us that we hoped weren't there, that we were surprised were there. We've seen all sorts of things come out in us, like selfishness and anger and anxiety and hatefulness at times and envy and dissentiousness. And these are things that Paul in Galatians 5 calls the works of the flesh. But I think that if you asked probably any of us, we would say, you know, we want to be people who are resilient. We want to be people who can face difficulties and trials in ways that are loving and noble and kind and resilient. I think we all want that. And so the question is how? How do we become people like that? How do we become a community like that that is able to cultivate a different way of living and loving in the midst of crisis? And the simple answer that scripture offers, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really wonderfully simple, and that is repentance. That repentance just means turning around. I mean, if I'm facing this way and I turn, I'm facing this way. I'm facing a new direction. And that's just simply what repentance is. It means to turn away from the way of the flesh, to turn to the way of the spirit, turn from the selfishness and sin, to turn to Christ and his kingdom, turn from the old, turn to the new. And God promises that when we do that, he gives us the spirit and begins to do a new transforming work in us to make us more and more like Jesus. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's just simply the character of Jesus. And so we've looked at them. We've looked at love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And today we're looking at gentleness, gentleness in a time of roughness. Now, I I think, and I I think other people probably have said this too, that gentleness is probably the least well-known, the least talked about, the least aspired or prayed for of all of the nine fruit of the spirit. I I don't actually remember the last time I or even ever heard someone say that they were trying to be more gentle or that they admired someone for being gentle or that they were aspiring to become a more 
gentle person. It's just not something that we think about very much. In fact, if anything, at least in pop culture, gentleness is generally seen as something that's negative. It describes someone maybe that isn't self-confident or lacks self-assertion, someone who gets easily pushed around. We tend to associate gentleness with weakness. It was certainly that way in the ancient world at the time that Paul was writing this. In the early, you know, 2,000 years ago, when Paul was writing this letter, gentleness and its associated virtue humility were actually seen as vices, believe it or not. Uh, in, the, in the ancient Roman world, um, real men were often talked about as neither gentle nor humble, but they were considered to be powerful and strong. Boasting in ancient Rome was a very practiced and cultivated art form. They would have done really well with Twitter or something like that today. I mean, it, it, that boasting was just a, striking down your enemies with incisive debate and words was an art form. And so it's, it's pretty weird, both then and now, to include this virtue of gentleness in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, perhaps the least understood of all of them. So we got to ask, what is it, and why would we want it? Why, why, why would we even want to be gentle in a time like this? Well, let's try to understand gentleness a, a little bit. The word that gentleness, the word that Paul uses here is the Greek word proutus, proutus. It's most often translated gentleness. Sometimes it's translated as meekness, which honestly sounds even worse than gentleness. Meekness actually rhymes with weakness, right? So who wants to be meek? Not me. But this word, I was really fascinated to discover this this week, that this word proutus actually is a really ancient Greek word. And it originally had to do with the taming of wild animals, the taming of powerful beasts. Kids, I don't know um, if you have ever seen this old movie, um, The Black Stallion. One of my favorite movies when I was a kid, they actually did a remake of it last year called Black Beauty, which was meh, I thought. Um, but okay. Uh, anyway, this movie is really, is really powerful. It was for me as a kid and I think continues to be powerful for kids because here is this tremendously fearsome and powerful beast, a stallion of such immense power that no experienced horse trainer can do anything about this animal. But in the original movie, a little boy, in the remake, a little girl, is able to build trust so much with this animal that he surrenders the totality of his power to the leadership of this tiny, vulnerable child. Now, you would never say that the stallion is weak. What you would say is that it is controlled power. And that's what gentleness is. Gentleness is not weakness. Uh, It is the right stewardship of strength. Imagine a, a, a mother, a strong mother, cradling in her arms a, a little fragile newborn baby. Or imagine a, a, a group of movers moving a big, huge uh, piece of glass. You know, no one would say the mother is weak or that the movers are weak. What we would say is that they are showing controlled strength. They are stewarding their power in, in, the, in the right way. I had an embarrassing nickname when I was in college. Um, some of my roommates would sometimes call me Lenny. Um, Lenny was <laughs> the character in Stein, John Steinbeck's novel of Mice and Men. Remember the character Lenny, who was this big, huge, hulking person who would often break small and vulnerable things without 
realizing it. Yes, this was, um, it, they didn't call me this because I was so strong. They called it because I was breaking things so constantly. Um, whether because I was a really late bloomer or clumsy or whatever, um, I, I lacked the awareness of the impact of the force that I exerted on things and people around me. <laughs> Please don't call me Lenny, ever. Um, so, so, so that's the opposite of biblical gentleness. It's not weakness, it is strength under control. It is rightly stewarded power. Power stewarded for the sake of love. So a gentle person does not use intimidation or force or coercion to get what they want. They steward their power to use kindness and love to morally persuade. A gentle person does not self-promote or put themselves first. Instead, they use their agency to promote and lift others up. A gentle person is attentive to the fragility, the sensitivity, the vulnerability of the people around them, and they work to come alongside and carry and care for the vulnerability of others. A gentle person is able to endure hostility without lashing out, without violence and aggression, and is sometimes willing to bear even suffering and pain if it is able to bring about good for the community and trusting ultimate outcomes to God. In fact, it's interesting that in the civil rights movement, many of the civil rights leaders often appealed to gentleness as a weapon a weapon which was about restraining power and enduring suffering to expose the hate of the enemy and to provoke change. One civil rights leader said this, with gentleness, we can shake the world. With gentleness, we can shake the world. So you see, gentleness isn't strength. It's actually just the opposite. It could be one of the strongest kinds of power because it is extremely, I mean, to preserve gentleness in, in our world, in our heartless world, it takes extraordinary effort, courage, determination, and resilience. Gentleness is power stewarded rightly for love. Now, for, as Christians, we get our deep understanding of gentleness from the character of God. Now, you might not think of gentle when you think of God. Um, you know, you might immediately think of some terrible stories or something in the Old Testament, and there are some scary stories. But What's true about God is that despite God's power and might, God is also again and again described as a God who is gentle. So one of the most beloved Psalms, Psalm 23, often treasured, especially in times of, of sickness and death, says that God is a shepherd who tenderly cares and guides his sheep, his lambs. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says that he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You see God interact gently with people like abandoned mothers, like Hagar, who feel out ostracized and marginalized in their community. He, you see him tenderly caring for demoralized and depressed prophets like Elijah. Uh, you see him siding with vulnerable populations like the immigrant and the orphan and the widow and the poor. God tenderly cares for those who've been beat up and beat down by the world. God stewards his power for the vulnerable, God is gentle. And then ultimately we see God's gentleness most powerfully expressed in the person of Jesus. Gentleness is one of Jesus's most important characteristics. He says about himself in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. There's 
There's a, an author named Dane Ortland who wrote this wonderful book recently, and he, he observes this wonderful thing that I had never thought about before, that in the four gospels, in all four gospels, 98 chapters of, of, of writing about Jesus, there is only one place in all four gospels where Jesus actually talks about his own heart. Look at what he says. He says, in the one place in the Bible where the son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not told that Jesus is austere and demanding of heart. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Now heart, I've said this before, that heart in, in the biblical context does not mean your emotional life, it means the animating center of your personality. Your heart is what gets you up in the morning. Your heart is what keeps you going. Your heart is what fuels your everyday life. And Jesus says, if you wanna know what is at the core of who I am, the core of my personality, what it is that makes me me, it is this. I am gentle and lowly of heart. Again, Dorothy Nortland says this, Jesus is meek, he's humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Think about that. I mean, talk about power. Jesus is fully, fully human, fully God, the most powerful person to ever live. We see his power exerted in so many, we see him calming storms, driving out legions of demons. Uh, we, we see him um, doing miraculous things for broken human bodies. I mean, Jesus is a power, Jesus had no lack of self-awareness. Jesus had plenty of confidence. Jesus said things like, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, you don't get much more confident than that. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. Like, I mean, Jesus was there. He says, I'm at the beginning of the world. I mean, this guy did not lack confidence. He argued with Pharisees, beating them at their own game. He had no problem with self-esteem. And yet, the truest thing that describes Jesus is that he is gentle and lowly of heart. And we see this. He has compassion for those who are sick or grieving or hungry or the disabled. He dignifies those on the fringes of society. He touches the, the leper, the untouchable. He restores the shamed. He welcomes little children who were ostracized in that ancient community. He rebukes the disciples when they wanna call down fire on their enemies or strike them with a sword. When it's time for him to fulfill his mission, he rides his steed, a donkey. <laughs> a gentle donkey into Jerusalem. And then he stands before his accusers who hurl insults at him and he remains silent, entrusting his own justification into the hands of God. And at the height of the pinnacle of his mission, he inaugurates his kingdom, not through violence, but through the giving of his own life. As Isaiah 53 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He chooses suffering for his enemies rather than demonstrating his power against them. And this is how the kingdom of Jesus comes. The kingdom of Jesus comes not through violence and conquest, but through the meek king laying down his life for the world. He is the lion lamb, the lammy lion, however you wanna say it. He is the one of total immense power who makes himself vulnerable. He's gentle and lowly of heart. Is this, is this how you see Jesus? Is this... Is this how you see God? 
You know, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So when you think about God, do you think about gentleness? Is that what you think about? Because Jesus is God's gentleness incarnate. He's gentle. So how do we become gentle? Well, before we talk about that, we have to face what we're up against. It's very difficult to be a gentle person (laughs) these days. We talked a couple weeks ago about the coarsening of our culture, Arthur Brooks says, that American society is becoming a harsher environment. It's getting harder and harder to live as a gentle person. We, We live probably in one of the most violent societies in the world. Just this week, we saw horrific violence and murder, this time against women in the Asian American community. I mean, friends, there is a terrible, persistent thread in our own nation's story of violence and power used not for the vulnerable, but against the vulnerable, whether it be indigenous people or women or racial and ethnic minorities. This is a dark theme in our nation's story. Today, in our movies and pop culture, we glorify heroes who violently handle their problems by destroying their enemies, taking ruthless revenge on those who oppose them. In politics, we see now the norm of conflict adjudication, not moral persuasion or compromise, but as coercion, the forceful use of political power over your opponent. And it's not just politicians, it's widespread. Our culture rewards self-confident displays of strength, assertiveness and authentic expressions of your own opinion are celebrated. If you wanna be heard, you gotta be harsh, mean-spirited and say the unvarnished truth. It doesn't matter how it might affect or offend anyone else or anyone else around you. And it would be wonderful to say, I wish I could say, that the American church has displayed a countercultural way of resistance to this way of rough harshness. But unfortunately, gentle is not an adjective that many people would use to describe the American church. I think over the last 45 years, uh, fearing a loss of power, a loss of control, as our country has become more secular, the evangelical movement has been swept up into what is often called the culture war, which has often meant that we've taken on the same aggressive, assertive, and sometimes coercive means as those that we think we're opposing. This last year, in response to pandemic mandates and social and racial unrest and a divisive election, we've seen Christians act demeaning, hostile, dismissive, angry, spiteful. We've seen Christians drawn to pastors and leaders who exemplify traits, not of gentleness and meekness, but of arrogance and rudeness. Leaders who choose not to suffer and serve, but to fight and take no mercy. And and on top of all this, this is the thing that really breaks my heart, is that we see again and again and again, I mean, it's almost like just a script now, we see Christian leaders exposed who have been persistently using their power, not in order to protect the most vulnerable, but to actually abuse and exploit them for their own gain. Friends, there is a sickness at the heart of the American church. And I know I'm being hard on us, but we gotta reckon with this. We've got to reckon with this if we're truly gonna repent, because repenting involves truth-telling, it involves naming what is wrong and turning to God to invite his mercy. We need help from him. So how do we become more gentle people? How do we cultivate this in our lives? Well, you only have to hear me say this two more weeks, that every virtue, every gift of the Spirit is what? Both gift and 
task. You're such good students, thank you. Um, gift and task. So first of all, if we wanna become more gentle, we first have to receive gentleness as a gift, receiving the gentle heart of Jesus. You know, Matthew 11, again, going back to that scripture, it, Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, if you don't hear any, if you, maybe you weren't listening to me this whole time. Maybe you won't listen to me for the rest of the service. That's totally fine. Just listen to me for the next two minutes, okay? That's all. For all of his power and all of his glory and all of his holiness and all of his infinite otherness, Jesus at the same time is the most approachable person in the universe. He just says, just come. Just come. There's no prerequisites. There's no hoops to jump through. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to make yourself right. You don't have to do anything. In fact, the only prerequisite, he says, to come to Jesus is your weariness. Your burden is what qualifies you to come to the Lord Jesus. And he says this, when you come, when you come with your burden, whether it's the burden of sin or suffering or pain or depression or darkness, whatever your burden might be, when you come to him with it, he will respond in one way and one way only with gentleness. He says this right here, Hebrews 5, 2. He deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. He, Isaiah 42, a bruised reed, he will not break. And I know that personally, friends, because I have been broken. No matter how, seriously, no matter how far away you think you are, no matter how deep in you think you are, no, no matter how hard you think your heart is, no matter how far away you've been, the only way that Jesus responds to people who come to him is with gentleness. It's his heart. It's the only way he is. In fact, the only people who don't experience the gentle heart of Jesus are those who don't come. Those who, those who are too proud, who are too self-sufficient, who, who have nothing to confess, who have nothing to own, who have nothing to name. Those who think they can handle themselves and their problems and their world on their own. There's the only people who don't experience the gentle heart of Jesus because they will not and cannot come. And so that's his invitation. I just want you to hear that. That's his invitation to everyone, all of you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. As you name your burden, as you become aware of it, as you say, I can't carry this on my own. I'm tired of living my life on my own. As you come to him and offer it, and he receives it and gives you his grace and mercy, you experience his gentle heart the more you become like him. And that's how we become more gentle. Our capacity to be gentle flows out of the deep well of gratitude and awareness of Jesus' own gentleness in his heart for you. So that's where gentleness begins as a gift. You can stop listening to me now. That's just the most important thing, okay? But here, let's end here. How do we cultivate gentleness? Because it's not just a gift. It's a virtue, it's a task. Remember, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And grace gives us power to exert great effort to become more like Jesus. So how can we do that? Well, let's talk about up and out, our triangle, right? Our triangle of discipleship. How do we nurture a gentle life with God, a gentle life with each other, a gentle life for those outside? Gentle heart before God. James 1:21 says this, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or gentleness the implanted word 
which is able to save your soul. James says when it comes to, he's talking about your life with God. He says, when your life with God, have a posture of meekness, gentleness. Remind yourself continuously that God is God, you are not. God is big, you are small. God is glorious, you are the servant. Every single way you can figure out how to practice that awareness of your meekness and gentleness before God and his gospel, the more you become a gentle person. One way that we can do that, a powerful way you can do that is in prayer. I love this quote from a fifth century desert father named Nihilus of Sinai. He said, prayer is the seed of gentleness and the absence of anger. That's very mysterious. It took a desert father to write something like that. (laughs) But I think what he means, I think what he means, first of all, prayer is is the seed of gentleness because you get, when you pray, you get your posture right before God, right? You literally are remembering, oh, I'm not in charge of my life, God is. I'm not in charge of the world, God is. You're posturing yourself. And sometimes even your physical posture in prayer can help lead your own heart. I worked for, um, a lot of you know that I worked, right after college, I moved to London, I worked for this guy named John Stott, who was a pretty well-known pastor and theologian. In fact, the time of my working for him, he was named by Time Magazine as one of the most 100 influential people in the world at the time. Not influential religious leaders, just people in general in the world. Now, you would think that would give a guy a big head, wouldn't you think? I don't think any of us have been named one of the most 100 most important people in the world. <laughs> and yet this guy, who I called Uncle John, he was one of the most humble and meek and gentle people I have ever met. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons was is because he was constantly getting on his face before God. I mean, literally, he would kneel down all the time. In fact, one time, I came, the first time this happened, I, it happened to me all the time. I would always walk in on him kneeling, praying to God. One, the first time he was, he was kneeling, and, uh, and, I, and I came in, and I saw this 78-year-old man kneeling on the floor. I was like, Uncle John, I thought he had fallen and couldn't get up. You know, I was ready to, to help him. And, and, and instead, he just had to emerge out of this deep conversation with the Lord. And our posture, our kneeling posture, it's very hard to be proud when you're on your knees. Just try it. Try to be proud on your knees. You can't because your body's leading your heart. And so try to do that this week. Get on your knees every day before God and see what happens to your heart. It leads you into deeper gentleness. The other thing that prayer does, I think that this desert father said, is that it, it, it ameliorates anger. It softens hostility. You know, uh, when Jesus told us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, I believe that he did not think that our, he did not mean that our prayer would transform our enemies, but he knew that by such prayerful acts, our own hearts would be transformed. One of my heroes is a, uh, African-American theologian and civil rights leader named Howard Thurman. And he once said this, he said, the man who shares a concern for others with God in prayer does this. He exposes the need of the other person to his total life and resources, making it possible for new insights of helpfulness and creativity to emerge in him. In other words, he sees more clearly how to relate himself to the other person's need. So do you hear what he's saying? He's saying when you actually pray for people, especially the people that are your enemies? And you know, that could be literal enemy. It could be your spouse sometimes. I mean, whatever, right? Someone that you're having a really hard time with. As you pray for them, something amazing happens. It actually fosters empathy, softens hostility, and generates love. So try it this week. Not only get on your knees, but pray for someone that you're having a really hard time with and see what God does with your heart before him. Another way that we can practice gentleness is with fellow Christians. The New Testament is full of exhortations to be gentle with each other. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. 
He says in Galatians, if anyone is caught in a sin, you should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. He says in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with each other in love. We're, we're called to practice immense gentleness with each other, especially in the way that we handle each other's faults and annoying habits and struggles. To be gentle does not mean you have to suppress your opinion or relinquish your convictions. It's about how we engage with each other, especially in conflict, how we talk to each other, the words we use, the attitudes we harbor. Here's a quote from Gail Irwin. Gentleness is not apathy, but is an aggressive expression of how we view people. We see people as so valuable that we deal with them in gentleness, fearing the slightest damage to one for whom Christ died. To be apathetic is to turn people over to mean and destructive elements. To truly love people causes for us to be aggressively gentle. That's a striking phrase, isn't it? Aggressively gentle. What she's saying is that gentleness is an active, it's not a personality trait, it is an active attitude and action of other orientation. One of the ways that I think we can work on this is in the practice of listening. We really don't listen well anymore. Um, I don't listen well anymore. <laughs> Maybe I never have. This is something you need to work on. Most of our listening is strategizing, where we're nodding our head and looking at the other person, but we're strategizing about how we will respond to them and prove them wrong. But real listening requires gentleness because to listen means you have to relinquish control of the conversation. Have you ever thought about it that way? To listen, you have to relinquish control of the conversation and surrender your own opportunity to let your voice and opinion be heard. So you are, you are actually stewarding your powerful agency to actually let the other person feel known and heard. And that's way harder than speaking your mind. Way harder, right? So try it this week. At least one conversation this week, a tough conversation with a spouse, a sibling, hey kids, with, your, with, each other, with each other, or with a colleague at work, just try this. Commit yourself to your sole ambition in this conversation is not to be heard, but to listen. To actually steward your power to let the other person be heard. See what happens. One last thing. Practicing a gentle heart with those outside the church. Peter says this, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. He says in another place in Titus, always be gentle towards outsiders. See, if Orlin is right and Jesus is the most understanding and accessible person in the universe, then guess what? Those who follow him should be the most understanding and accessible people around. If the posture most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger, but open arms, then what should be the posture of those who follow Jesus? Not a pointed finger, but open arms. In fact, one of the ways that you know if you're a gentle person is if you look at your friends. Do an audit of your friend group. If you're gentle, the people who don't like church and who don't like religion and who don't like morality and who have been beat up by the world, those are the people who will tend to like you. Because why? Because you're safe, you're accessible. You don't make people feel condemned or condescended. One of the ways you know you have the spirit of Jesus in you is that the same kind of people are attract, who are attracted to Jesus are attracted to you. Is that true of you? Think about your posture towards those outside the church or who don't share your beliefs or your Christian beliefs or your faith beliefs or your political beliefs. How, what's your attitude towards them? How do you treat them? Do you, do you look for 
cheap shots on Facebook? You troll social media. Are you trying to own the libs or drag the conservatives or whatever, whoever is in the other side that you disagree with? Would people who don't share your beliefs say that you are an open and understanding person or would they say that you're more concerned about being right than really hearing them? Well, let me tell you something. No one has ever been won to Christ by losing an argument. Nobody. I think of the history of the world. <laughs> Nobody has ever been won to Jesus by losing an argument. People are drawn to Jesus because of his gentleness. So let's remember that when Jesus commissioned his followers with his mission, he armed them not with spears, but with the spirit. And he called them not to spread the kingdom by force, but by taking up the cross, which means laying down your life for the sake of others. So in conclusion, gentleness, my dear brothers and sisters, is not weakness. It is the strongest kind of strength. It is power rightly stewarded for the sake of love. In a world like ours, gentleness seems stupid. Meekness seems like a fool's game, a recipe for you know, getting beat up. And yet Jesus, our Lord says in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the gentle for they will inherit the earth. <laughs> he says a day is coming, a day when the world is made right, when his kingdom comes, when the truth about reality will be made plain, when the high and the lofty and the arrogant and the proud of the world will be brought low and the low and the lowly and the humble will be lifted high. He says that's day's coming, live it now. Live in reality now. The secret of real strength will be known to all that gentleness is the way of greatness. Live that way now. Live it now. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that? Then yoke yourself to him. Follow in his way, as hard as it is. Let's make it our ambition to be able to sing like David saying, your gentleness has made me great. Let's pray. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly. You are unlike any other king, gentle king. You are unlike any other lord, meek lord. You are the lion lamb, the one with all the power and yet who uses all your power to humble yourself for the sake of love. Help us, O oh God, to foster gentleness. I pray that if there's anyone here who is carrying any burden, any weight, any sorrow, any sin, that they would see the arms of Jesus open to them, that they would come. In your kingdom, Jesus, it is not the bad who are out and the good who are in, it is the proud who are out and the humble who are in. So may we be those who come to you with humble hearts, receiving your grace, and then help us to be those who cultivate this virtue, gentleness, in a culture of profound hostility. May we show Christ through our gentleness. We pray in Jesus' name.